This morning, I wish to uh, draw your attention to the book of Revelation. I remember when Susan and I first got married, and uh, we lived in a rental place in Surrey. And we, a young man needed a place to stay, whom I had known some years before in Prince George. So he came to stay with us, as little as we had, and he took the Bible, and he read in his room the book of Revelation. Well, he came out the next day, and he said, that book should never be in the Bible. I never want to see that again. Because there was something in that book that scared the living daylights out of him. That God was real, and sin is real, and there's a climax coming, and he wasn't ready for it. I'm hoping that he's ready for it now. Um, so let's see if we're ready for it. Because the book of Revelation is a sort of a heads up to all the churches. And in I'm just going to touch on a little bit of it because it's a very complicated book if you've ever tried to read it. I tried years ago to mix and match different prophecies and see if they could somehow mesh together, and it never did mesh together for me right. So I have a great hesitancy on those who've who say they've got it all figured out. Ah, we'll see about that. But it has a message for you and I that we have to take note of. And the particular part that I want to focus on is um, the first, first two or three chapters. It's a story about Jesus, the resurrected Christ, the reason that you and I are here this morning. And he introduces himself, and he says to John the disciple, he has a message for the churches. And so he, uh, the chapter 1 says that, John was in the spirit on the Lord's day and he heard behind him a loud voice and he turned to see the voice and this is what he saw. He saw the Son of God with his head and his hair white as snow and uh, all that he saw were the candlesticks in his hand and him walking among them and it was a reminder that the resurrected Christ cares about us, cares about his churches, cares about what is going on in our lives, cares about what we are doing in the church, some things that please him and some things that, that uh, don't. Revelation 1.18 says, I was dead. So we know it was Jesus. But now I am alive forevermore. 
and we look forward and our faith within us is stirred because of those words. I was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore. And we look forward to that same resurrection for ourselves. In Jesus' message to the churches, certain questions come up. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against computers and... No, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, after our wrestling this morning, we need to come to groups with some questions that this passage brings out. What matters most to Jesus in the way that we do church? Does it matter to him? Yes, it does. Are we pleasing him? We'll find out. What's a good church? We have our own ideas of what is a good church, what is a good Christian. What does he say? Why are we doing what we're doing? That is a good question. Why are we doing what we're doing? whether it means in our daily life beyond the church or inside the church, why are we doing what we're doing? What is God's spirit prompting us to do? Are we listening at all to what the spirit says to the churches? You know, that phrase is written in the book of Revelation all seven times. If anybody has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So God is present with us, and his Spirit is present every day. And his Spirit is present with us in our lives. And he's constantly willing to speak if we are willing to listen. That's is a big question. Well, let's find out. The letters to the churches were real churches in the province of Asia. And they were composed of people like us. Um, they were probably bigger than this church. They were um, city churches, or all the Christians in that locale met together. So in every one of these places, uh, there was a church, but it wasn't a Baptist church or a Lutheran church or a Pentecostal church. It was just a church, the Church of Jesus Christ. And there were probably hundreds, if not a thousand or more, gathering together week by week. And during the process of time, problems surfaced that they had to deal with. Problems that Jesus himself addressed personally. When we think about Ephesians, Ephesus, Paul preached in Ephesus. Timothy preached in Ephesus. And they spent a good deal of time there. And over the course of time, the congregations grew 
But something happened. To each of the churches, Jesus uh, addressed several points. One was he introduced himself, a different portion of himself to each church, and something of himself that he made known to the church. There was a statement regarding the condition of the church. He commended some of the things they were doing and some not. There was a command from Jesus to the church, a general exhortation, and a promise of reward, something of himself. This is true of each of the seven churches. Um, let's go to the very first church. In the, this is a massive building. Uh, have any of you been over there and seen it? Yeah. Um, it's not doesn't look like that right now. We, we just have ruins. But you can, you can gather that this was no small city. And, it, and the church in it was probably no small church. And so in the, in the book of Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7, it's, it gives us um, an illustration of what is a very good church. It says they were active. They were industrious. Well, I certainly hope so. That's a good church. It's good for us to be industrious. It said that I know your labors and I know your troubles. They went through some things and we like we all do. He says, you have patient endurance. I like that. You cannot tolerate wicked men who are imposters. Again, in the early church, um, people had a right to say, stand up and say something. And some of them called themselves apostles and the church said, no, you're not. And they examined them, those who said they were and weren't, and they found them to be liars. The church at Ephesus endured patiently borne up my name and allowed, not allowed yourselves to become weary. This, all in all, on the surface, looks like a very good church. Wouldn't you want to go to that kind of a church? I would. And we have many churches like that today. But they had a problem. In all the years that went by since Paul and Timothy were there, they were, part of the thing was, um, I'll get to that in a moment, but it's what I would call a Martha complex. In Luke chapter 10, verses 41 and 42, Jesus paid a visit to a home. And uh, as he paid a visit to the home of Martha, well, she was busy. I mean, there were 12 disciples in the house, and everything needed to be done. Everything needed to be looked after. And, I, and she was pulling her hair out, probably. And 
Finally, she just had enough. She went to Jesus and said, tell my sister to come and help me. Jesus didn't ask her to, to come and help her. Jesus said to her, Mary, uh, you're Martha, Martha, you're troubled about many things. But Mary has chosen the better part. And it won't be taken from her. Mary just sat there and gave um, full attention to their special guest, Jesus himself. You see the contrast between the two. That on the one hand, we can be very, very busy. Um, there's always things to do both in our homes and in the church. But is that the main thing? As the scriptures point out, Jesus said, you have left your first love. What, what did he mean by that? The love that we had for Christ at the beginning of our faith. It says, Remember the heights from which you fall. This wasn't a small step like this. It wasn't a 10-foot step. It wasn't a 20-foot step. It was heights, heights, a mountain heights. How can that be possible? We just read about the church. Ephesus was a great and very good church. And Jesus said, repent. Do what you did before, at first, or else. I, you and I know about the or else. We may have given that word to our grandchildren and grandchildren, or else. Or, and Jesus gave that warning to the church at Ephesus. And we wonder, how can that be possible? Or else. Or else what? In Revelation 2 and 4 and 5. Did I put them? Yes. But I have this against you. You uh, have abandoned your first love. Therefore keep in mind how far you have fallen. Repent. And perform the deeds you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. When I first read that, I could hardly believe it. Ephesus, in all outer respects, was a good church. They were industrious. They were actively pursuing uh, the truth. They examined those who had something to say and found which ones were, were liars. They endured much for Jesus' name. And yet, he says to them, repent. And do the first works. Because you have left your first love. Not, well, just have, uh, as we remember, our own uh, first love, but 
we had an attitude that this was the most important person in our life. And we would do anything for him or her. That this was missing in the church at Ephesus. They were busy, but busy, busyness that took them away from their focus on Jesus. That's a, in Jesus' eyes, that's a serious matter. It's as serious as when Jesus went to the home of Mary and Martha. Martha was constantly busy about the things that she felt needed to be done. And Mary chose to listen to the most important person that would ever enter their house. And you and I have to deal with the same thing. Is Jesus Christ central and the most important person as we gather week by week? Is he the most important person in our own lives as we walk out our faith? In the community, is Jesus Christ central and living in our lives? Or are we just going through the works? What are the first works? Remember how you used to spend time in his work. When you first became a Christian, I read this book, the Bible, through numerous times, from beginning to end. I didn't understand it all. But it spoke to me. I allowed God to speak to me in that word. Um, do you remember how you used to pray? You didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to pray. I learned how to pray. I learned to address the God of the universe. I learned to humble myself before him. And I prayed passionately, passionately for, to him. Remember the joy of getting together with other Christians. We still enjoy a little bit of that as we fellowship together. But in the early days when we first became Christians, it was great to be another Christian. And somehow there was joy and rejoicing in that. And that is not always the case now. Remember how excited you were about telling others about Jesus. Well, those are beginnings of first works. I'm getting older too. Um, what was our life like before we heard about Jesus? Many of you grew up in the church, as I did, and we heard about Christ at home, but some did not. Some grew up in homes where Christ, the word Jesus, was not mentioned except in, in a swearing capacity. What attracted us to faith in Christ Jesus? What did we see about him that excited us? I think back, and over the years, when a person rises from the dead, that gets me excited. And Jesus did that. He showed himself alive 
to people who knew he had died. And others were resurrected at that time. That's exciting. Does it matter to us that all our sins are forgiven forever? It matters to me. It should matter to all of us that our sins are forgiven forever. Hebrews chapter 10. Were that the things that I, I told a friend the other day, one of the most exciting and memorable days of my life was when I was convinced that Jesus accepted me at my worst. That is a big, that is a big deal. And to know that those sins are forgiven forever is a big deal. Does it matter to us that there is a place for us in heaven now? Yes, that's exciting. If I were, you or I were to die today, there's a place for us. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. That's exciting. Does it matter to us that Jesus gave his life for us and became the first fruits from the dead. That's exciting. To know that Jesus has the power to do it. It's one thing to say it, but it's another to do it. He was the first fruits from the dead. That's exciting. Does it matter to us that our name is written in heaven? It may not mean so much now, but I guarantee it will. When we walk up to the gates of pearl, if we will, and somebody opens the book and reads, I want to see, or I want that person to find my name in that book. That's exciting. Does it matter to us now that we possess the down payment of the Holy Spirit? That's exciting. That means a lot to me. It means that Jesus has given us the down payment and the full payment will be given to us at a later date. But we have the beginnings of a work within us. The Holy Spirit makes our relationship to God real. That's exciting. Does it matter to us that we have crossed over, as I preached last week, been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son? God considers that done. You and I have crossed over. Our bodies are, uh, will be resurrected and they're just a little slow. They're good. But they will come, and God has a new body for us, one that will never, ever wear out. That's exciting. Does it matter to us that, that we have crossed over from death unto life, and that you and I have eternal life right now? To me, that's exciting. 
You put all these things in together and we have something to be excited about. We have a reason for Jesus to be the central figure in our lives and of this church. Every day, every week, because of what he has done for us and what he is to us. In John chapter 15, it talks about the vine and the branches. And many of us know, know that from our own gardens and our own plants, if you take a branch and you separate it from the vine, it, it won't be long before it dies. It has no life in it unless it stays connected. And that's what uh, John chapter 15 says. Unless we stay connected to, God, to Jesus, to the vine, we, uh, we become useless, worthless. And that's not a pleasant thought. So the idea is that you and I need Jesus to be the living center of our life. One of the things that comes up is that none of the condition of this church and all the churches in our individual lives did not happen overnight. It was a gradual process whereby the believers left their first love, their passion for, the, the, for Jesus Christ. It didn't happen overnight. These letters were probably written 30 or 40 years after Paul went to Ephesus and Timothy preached there. So it was gradual process that moved them away from the center of Jesus being the center of their life and being the center of the church. It can happen to them, it can happen to us. The gradual drifting away where Jesus is no longer the center of our lives. Both the church and our lives cannot be about something else other than Jesus. And the, the, word, the word comes to each of the seven churches to overcome. Overcome what? Overcome everything and anything that would make it about something else. When we gather together, when we get up in the morning, if it isn't about the living Christ as the center of our life, it's wrong. Somehow we have missed, or it's easy to miss something because we're, uh, we're not in Jesus' day, it seems like. When Jesus asked his disciples, he challenged them, follow me. They had a choice to make. And they made it, as far as we know. When we, can you imagine Peter coming home on that first day? Guess what, dear? I'm gonna follow Jesus. What are we gonna do for an income? 
What are we going to do if the kids want to go to university? I don't know. I don't know where this is going to take me. But I need, I met a man who has so inspired me that I want to follow him. And that is the attitude that you and I need to develop. That we have met a man, someone, who has so inspired us that we want to follow him all the days of our life. We also need to realize that we affect those around us for good and for evil, or for evil, maybe both. That you and I fellowship together in the church, but we affect each other. We affect each other through the things that we talk about. The things that we do together. And it's either a positive or a negative thing. And the church can be the same way. It can lose its focus gradually through us not keeping Jesus in the center of our lives. We can move the church's central focus by what we allow and what we focus on in our lives and in the church. In the letters, uh, in the seven letters to the seven churches, it, it presents us with various scenarios. Some of the churches had problems in one area and not in another. And so, but the bottom line is that they weren't watchful enough. They allowed it to happen. And we can allow it to happen in our own lives, and we can allow it to happen in church, where we move or shift the focus of our gathering away from Jesus being the center. Is Jesus the center of our lives for real. Is that? Okay, well, that's good enough. Um, when we think about it, that's also a process that doesn't happen overnight. But Christ is no longer the center of our focus of our life. We neglect our relationship with the, with the Lord and spend less and less time in prayer, worship, and the Word. We allow friends and job and our own desires to come between ourselves and God. There is a loss of intimacy in our relationship with God. We are caught up in a cycle of dead-end works. We are more tolerant of the sin that presents itself in our life. And you and I will no longer have a burning passion for the lost. Those are all steps along the way of gradually moving away from Jesus being the center of our church and of our life. We need to ask ourselves, is Jesus still the center of our lives for real? 
What do we tolerate in our daily lives or in the church? Oh, that's okay. That doesn't matter. Yes, it does. It may matter a lot. Are we too tolerant of what we allow in us? Are we willing to confront the issues in our lives? I'm okay. Just don't talk to me about this area of my life. Because that's off limits. We are hesitant to confront the areas in our lives. Why our relationship to Jesus is becoming lukewarm? Well, I don't know about you, but lukewarm coffee, lukewarm tea, lukewarm anything doesn't excite me. You want to spit it out. We, as I asked before, why are we doing what we're doing? We need to have a good reason. And that good reason needs to be what Jesus, who he is and what he has done. Are we listening to what God's spirit may say to us? Are we listening at all? I remember sitting right where Dennis and Barb were sitting, and, and I, was, I had a prayer. I was, I was saying, God, I need to hear you today. I need to hear you speaking to me today. And he did. Through Bill's sermon, he, Bill mentioned something. The Holy Spirit mentioned something through Bill that I needed to hear. We need to have that kind of an, uh, a focus every week, even if it's me up front. And where we don't count on hearing God's word because I say so, because he says so. And he says to us what we need to hear. Are we willing to repent of anything that God may show us? That is a biggie. Do you think back in your own life? We used to have the habit of going up to the front to the altar if you needed to get things right with God. I've had many trips up the altar and we need to never uh, stop doing that. That any time that God speaks to us, we need to respond. So, next one. Uh, those are the seven churches that, that we're talking about. That they all had their problems. Some of them, Smyrna was in a difficult place. And it said, this, this is where Satan lives. They had a difficult place to minister. And some of them were thrown in jail, and the odd one person was killed in their response to Jesus. Pergamite uh, allowed a certain strong individual to speak and didn't do anything about it. 
and it had a negative effect on the church. The church at Sardis, I've, I don't think I ever said, heard, uh, read it anywhere, but Jesus said to that church that was at Sardis, you're not doing one thing that God requires or that meets his requirement. You're not doing one thing that God requires. Boy, that is a rebuke. I certainly don't want him to say that, have to say that about my own life or about our church. You're not doing one thing that meets the requirements of God. Philadelphia was a good church too. It was the one that Jesus said, I give you an open door, an opportunity to do, to do whatever I lead you to do. So that was a, a wonderful, favored church. The Lady Odyssean Church presents us with the problem of lukewarmness. And I've already mentioned that, that somehow lukewarmness can happen over time. At one time, we were hot. We're not hot now. And we've allowed things to come into our lives where Jesus is no longer the center of our lives. Is our relationship to Jesus a, uh, a living thing. Can you go to the next slide? Maybe there's no one? Okay. Summary of everything I've tried to say today. It's not enough for a church or for our individuals to do God's work, good works. We each need to be alive in Christ and to stay alive in Christ. And do the works that stem from true gratitude. We sing that song, I'm forever grateful. That has to be true in the church and in our lives. That we are grateful for the salvation that God has worked out in our lives. Where it's not enough to be active. The last one is our relationship to Jesus. A living daily thing. It has to be that way. Are there any more slides? Okay. It's about Jesus. First and last and foremost. As many times as we have gathered together in his name, he has been present, but we have not seen him. He knows us. He knows us by name. He knows the hairs on our head are getting fewer and fewer. No. Uh, he knows the hairs on our head. He knows us by name, and he cares about us. Um, and he's here right now. Although we don't see him, or, or we are not always acknowledging him. The church is his church. The Ephesians chapter 5 says, that I'm speaking about 
the bride of Christ. That's when I went through a period where I wanted to walk away from church because of what was happening. One of the things that brought me back was that Jesus has not given up on the church and that somehow he is working, he is able to work within our uh, idiosyncrasies in spite of them to make us spotless and vibrant and his bride. So there is a message. There's a message to us in the seven churches and there's a message in the book of, in the book of Revelation as difficult as it is to understand. We may need to, to approach it, to ask God, Lord, show me. Help me to understand the things that are written here so that they have a way of making us ready for him. And we look forward to that. The bottom line is Jesus is coming back. That was the message. He said, I'm returning and my reward is with me. And not everybody is going to be happy about my coming back. But when I, in my place or in the place with me, there's no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. And we look forward to that day. We bow before you, Lord Jesus. And we are grateful for what you have done, for what you've been able to do in our in our lives. We are thankful for every gift that you have given to us. And we look forward to that day to be with you, to be given new bodies that live forever. In Jesus' name, amen.